I woke with his voice in my ear. listening to Burdens, the podcast, episode two. I'm your host, Drew Kaiser. I want to say thanks to everyone for your kind words about episode one. I really enjoyed doing it, and I hope to continue releasing a story every month. I'm really excited about this project. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's great to know that there are people out there listening. If you get a chance to do it, leave me a rating or a review or both on iTunes or Google or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and then it helps me get it into the ears of other people and spread the word. Um, Last time, I introduced the story by telling you a little bit about what went into it, and I want to do that again this time. Uh, This was one of my earliest stories. Uh, I think it was the third one. That I, that I ever wrote. And so it's very special to me because it's one of the earliest ones. It also features the old man who was introduced in episode one. He's not in all my stories, but he's in a lot of them, and his character develops over time. You learn a little bit about him here and there. And so I think you'll learn a little bit more about him, about his personality, about what he's all about in this one. Uh, Another thing I can tell you about this particular story is that the the mask that the old man finds in the shop uh, is based on an actual artifact. Uh, Humbaba is a character in the Epic of Gilgamesh, a Babylonian myth and uh, he's he's like a giant or some kind of a monster that guards the cedar forest. Now I realize that there are a lot of theories on where that forest is in the story. I point to Lebanon but it could have been east, it could have been west. Nobody knows for sure there are a lot of different myths that tell it different ways. The point is just to listen and let the story wash over you. So here it is. It's entitled, A People at Sea. I hope you enjoy. A People at Sea A bell chimed as the door of the little shop opened, alerting the shopkeeper to the entrance of an old man wearing a shabby hide. The old man dropped into one of the chairs the shopkeeper had on display, took a filthy-looking rag from his leather bag, and mopped his bald head, shining it as if it were a precious gem. The shopkeeper cast a flimsy smile in the old man's direction and returned to the conversation he had been having with his friend, 
who flared out his nostrils and lowered his eyebrows at the odor that had trailed the old man into the shop. I told her if she expected to continue being my wife, something's had to change, the shopkeeper said, raising his voice toward the end of his declaration to give his friend the impression he was a man accustomed to getting his way. One broken figure I can let go, he said, but this makes six and three years of marriage. I won't put up with it. If she can't learn to respect my property, she'll have to go. His friend stood squarely, facing him with his legs shoulder-width apart, pulling his beard and watching the man with wide, sympathetic eyes. Those figures are heirlooms, a set of ten. They can't be replaced, you know. His friend nodded mutely. My parents purchased them from Egyptian merchants in Tekoa. Hold on to these, son, my mother said. One day, they will be worth a lot of money. Then this wife of mine carelessly breaks them. I won't put up with it. I told her so. Are you talking about toys? A voice asked from the corner. The two men had already forgotten about the old man, their noses having adjusted to his musk. What did you say? the shopkeeper asked. I was asking if you were upset about your toys. It sounds like you're thinking about divorcing your wife because she broke your toys. They're not toys, the shopkeeper said, offended. They're part of a set, heirlooms purchased by my parents when I was little. Did you play with them? The shopkeeper spun around to look at the old man. What has that got to do with it? I was a little boy when they gave them to me. I suppose I played with them. He turned back to his friend who frowned at the old man as if he were a precocious child and tried to steer the conversation back to the subject of his heroic taste for rare things. I was always careful, knowing they were very valuable pieces. Even then I had a nose for items of value. His friend nodded firmly in agreement. I was just asking, explained the old man, because little boys play with toys. If you played with them when you were little, they were toys. Sir, they are not toys. Now would you be so kind, why would you put away your wife for some toys? I can't see how that is any of your business, shouted the shopkeeper. If it were none of my business, you wouldn't be carrying on about it in this here shop. Sir, is there something I can do for you, or did you just come in to eavesdrop? Vagrants were coming into the shop all the time looking for a cool place away from the sun or a cup of water. The shopkeeper accommodated them when he could, but this old man had almost stretched his patience to its limit. He gave up telling his story for the moment and turned to the bald intruder, intending to throw him out. What an annoyance! How many did this make this week? The shopkeeper had lost count. Did you ever think that maybe she's not breaking those toys by accident? asked the old man. I mean, six toys in three years. No woman's that careless. I'll bet she's trying to tell you something. Maybe she's hoping you'll put her away. The old man chuckled while polishing his head with the rag. The shopkeeper's powers of speech failed him. Somehow the old man had reached into his head and shut off the switch that controlled his tongue, a feat no one besides his wife had ever accomplished. His friend stepped in when he saw that the shopkeeper had been struck dumb by the old man's ribbing. Mister, he said to the old man, state your business or go. 
We ain't got time for tramps with nothing else to do but barge into establishments and harass honest proprietors like my friend here. Now, you've taken your rest. You best be going before I turn you out. My apologies, said the old man, pushing on his staff to rise from his chair. I did not mean to leave the impression that I was loitering. I was hoping to procure a special item from you. I've not been able to find one in all the shops I've visited so far. The challenge loosened the shopkeeper's tongue. He moved behind the counter and said, Maybe you can tell us what you're looking for, and we might be able to help you. These were the moments he lived for. The shop was sacred to him, a temple for lost treasures. He knew every square inch of every shelf and cranny. He had no need for accounting or inventory logs. If someone wanted a stuffed boar's head from Cush or a Nabataean gold coin, and he had it, he knew exactly where it was stored. Above his head hung several knives, daggers, and implements of war. A stack of tattered books rested on the counter near his hands, and to his right a beautiful ibex hide was stretched out on a frame. The shop was filled with tools, collectibles, garments, books, figurines, bas-reliefs, and many other curiosities. They were his closest friends. Old things, unlike people, never denied his wishes, disrespected him, or betrayed him. He could always count on them. An item of Babylonian origin, said the old man as he scanned a shelf stacked with old farming equipment. A clay likeness. Could you be more specific, asked the shopkeeper, now curious. I'll know it when I see it. Just a minute. The shopkeeper ducked through a curtain that hung behind his counter and entered his storeroom. No one ventured back there but the proprietor himself. That was where he kept the special items, those collectibles that could not be trusted to sit on the shelves. He returned to the front of the shop after a few minutes, hands full, and found his friend interrogating the old man. Where are you from, old-timer? he asked. Israel. I know that, you old fool. I mean, what part of Israel? I have come out of the wilderness of the Negev, but I belong to all parts. I'm here just until I find a certain item, one that has a special purpose in this very village. I see, said the friend. He glanced over at the shopkeeper and then grinned at the old man's ridiculous garb. What are you, some kind of a religious fanatic? You could say that, I suppose. So, what, you like to go around telling people what to do? No, it's not that way. I rarely do what I like. Nobody's forcing you. The old man sat down and looked up at the two men in the shop. I'll tell you a story. One evening I sat beside a fire warming myself and preparing to turn in for the night. I kept staring at the flames, how they were dancing on the logs of the fire, hopping up and down, just as they have made men do when they try to walk across hot coals. I stared into the orange heat, thinking about how no one really can bear to touch the earth. We're all hopping from one foot to the other, doing some strange dance of survival. While I was caught up in this reverie, I saw a vision of God. I dare not describe it to you. I don't think I could if I tried. It doesn't matter what I saw. It's what I heard that changed my life. I have put my words in your mouth, the voice said, to break loamless hearts and plow fertile fields. I am sending you out into the cold and the warmth of a people at sea. When I rose from my fire at dawn, 
I was heavier than the day before. I have carried that burden with me until now. You poor thing, said the shopkeeper's friend, mocking him. Well, yes, said the shopkeeper. I have a few things here that might interest you. He spread two earthen vessels, a large bowl, and a few small pieces of jewelry proudly on the counter before the old man and smiled. The old man took one look at them and shook his head. This is not what I'm looking for. Disappointed, the shopkeeper asked, What is it exactly that you are looking for? Don't you have anything more eccentric, if you know what I mean? The old man winked when he said this. The shopkeeper smiled broadly. Yes, he said, just a minute. He disappeared behind the curtain again. He returned with a strange clay mask. The mask depicted a hideous, grinning face. The smile was crammed with teeth on the top and bottom rows and stretched to its limits so much so that wrinkles covered every part of the mask, its chin, the corners of the mouth, the forehead, and even across the flat, irregular nose. Malevolent, pupilless eyes gazed back at the old man as he examined the piece. It's Humbaba, guardian of the cedars of Lebanon, said the shopkeeper, almost in a whisper. It's very old and very valuable. The Babylonians hang him over their doorways as a charm against evil. Frankly, you surprise me. You didn't strike me as a man who would appreciate a piece like this. You know what I mean. A piece like this, it's, shall we say, exotic. It's perfect. How much? asked the old man. A piece like this is very valuable. I couldn't easily part with it. I have means. Name your price, shopkeeper. Two hundred? Fine. The old man pulled a little purse from somewhere in the recesses of the dusty hide he wore and counted out the sum as the shopkeeper watched in astonishment. He thanked him, nodded to his wary friend, and headed into the blazing light of the noonday public square. The square was filled with people of all sorts, mothers with their children examining fruit in the markets, merchants weighing their wares on scales, sailors on shore leave, priests on their way to perform their duties, farmers trailed by their livestock and its refuse, and beggars interrupting the pulse of activity with their pleading. The hot dust rose with every footfall. Above the din of the crowd and the cattle, a hammer was striking iron in the distance. The old man made for a post standing in the square in front of a cantina. A sign affixed to it read, Grub Here. The old man removed the leather belt that cinched his hairy garment together, exposing an interior of hair and ribs and loincloth, and fixed the clay mask to the post using his belt. By now, several eyes were watching him from the crowded mass. They were the only stationary objects in the pulsating heap, like pelicans sitting on the waves of the sea. The old man felt the eyes on him as he worked, although he didn't let on as if he noticed. After he secured the mask to the post, he brought the crowd to attention, shouting, Welcome to the Gallery of Fools. Come, don't be shy. We are going to make some changes to my friend here. Doesn't he look a little unhappy? Perhaps he is constipated, or maybe he had some bad fish. Maybe his wife kicked him out, and he had to spend the night in the street. Some children gathered at his feet and sat cross-legged on the ground. Some of the women giggled nervously, but the men glowered at the exhibition and stayed in the flow of the crowd. 
"'Now,' said the old man, producing a lump of charcoal, "'let's see what we can do about that smile, shall we?' Using the charcoal, he blacked out some of the teeth in the mask's crowded smile. "'That's better,' the old man stepped back so that the children could see his work. The smile now looked absurd, like a house with random broken windows. "'Where are his eyebrows?' he asked the children." The eyebrows reveal emotions. We can't tell if this is a happy little demon. The old man raised his eyebrows and smiled widely as he said this. Or a sad little demon. His countenance fell. Or an angry demon. He growled as he said this last part, lunging at the children and furrowing his brow while baring his teeth. The children squealed with excitement while their mother smiled, happy for the distraction. I think he is a happy little demon, said the man, and he drew two symmetrical eyebrows on the forehead of the mask, angling them upward to show delight. Now, what are we going to do about that hair? At the top, the clay face featured the border of a straight hairline in the style of the people who sculpted it. Let's add a little color. The old man coughed and spat a tremendous wad of saliva and phlegm on the ground and worked it into the dust, making a red dye for the mask's hair. With his fingers, he painted the mask. When he finished, he stepped back to admire his work. The once menacing face now looked stupid and benign. Bright red hair topped the face of a fool, who smiled gaily at the growing crowd through a mouth with gaping holes. Several men had joined their wives now to watch the spectacle. The children wanted more. He still needs more color, I think, don't you? The children squealed their affirmations. Who has some fruit? A little girl handed him a date. No, I'm afraid that's too hard, my little friend. We wouldn't want to hurt him. Does anyone have some fruit that has spoiled something squishy? Another child brought figs. The old man rubbed them into a paste to use on the clay face. He worked the reddish stain into its cheeks, making it blush with embarrassment. That looks better, I think. What about you? The children cheered but the adults looked uncomfortable. The old man paused. A disturbance was parting the crowd like a ship's rudder through water. The old man saw an enormous Phoenician burst through, moving people aside with his strong arms like they were flimsy branches in a forest. That's Humbaba, guardian of the cedars of Lebanon, he cried. He appeared to be offended by the old man's sideshow. What have you done? You have vandalized a sacred charm. Oh, he doesn't look too scary to me, said the old man. I just think he's got a bit of indigestion. Perhaps he had too many raisin cakes last night. He probably had a hard time chewing his food with all those missing teeth. The old man wheezed with an uncontrollable laugh. Tears streamed from his eyes, and he doubled over as he shook with amusement. Oh, yes, he said between outbursts. He must have had too much fun last night. This began a fresh round of laughter. The children were laughing. The women tried to hide their smiles. Take it down, said the big Phoenician. Now why would I do that? asked the old man. We are having so much fun, aren't we, children? The children nodded in agreement. Maybe you're jealous. Would you like a makeover, too? The head of Humbaba graced the door of Enlil, king of the gods, my mother hung a clay mask just like that one over the door of our home to keep away the evil spirits. It is a sacred charm, and you have insulted it. Take it down. 
This is your last chance. Who did you say? Lil N? Never heard of him. The Phoenician charged toward the mask strapped to the post, but the old man stepped in his way. I will thank you not to touch my property, he said. With a beastly growl, the Phoenician backhanded him across the cheek. The old man heard every bone in his neck crack. The force of the slap spun him on his heels, but he did not fall. With his foot, the Phoenician gave the old man's backside a shove, and he fell face first into the dust at the feet of the children whose faces no longer wore expressions of delight. While the Phoenician fiddled with the mask trying to remove it from the post, the old man slowly picked himself up and dusted off his hairy cloak still hanging open because his belt was holding the mask to the post. That's my property, I said. Please take your hands off of it. The Phoenician acted as if he didn't hear him. Can someone help me? This man seems to think this mask belongs to him. The old man looked around at the waiting crowd, but no one moved. Well then, the old man walked toward the post where the Phoenician was having trouble undoing the belt and took him by the elbow, his head just barely coming level with the big man's shoulder. Get your hands off me, shouted the Phoenician. He grabbed the old man's cloak by the collar and slung him to the hard ground. Putting his foot on the back of the old man's head, he ground his face into the dust. Pain squeezed through his eyes in tears, and he gritted his teeth in an effort to stay conscious. Still holding the cloak, the Phoenician pulled it up by the collar while keeping the old man on the ground with his foot. The old man felt his shoulders tearing as they were pulled back in their sockets. Finally, the cloak came off. The old man lay in the dust of the square like a plucked chicken. The children ran away. Most of the crowd receded like a tide time to respond to violence rather than the suggestions of the moon. It would return the next time some old man was being abused, or a wife was being berated in public, or some beggar was kicked like trash in the gutter. It was a crowd with an ebb and flow tuned to human misery. The hot sun baked the old man in the square, and the sandflies slaked their thirst on his tears. He lay alone like some molting reptile without his skin, while the Phoenician worked on the mask until he finally freed it from the post and walked away examining it in his hand, grumbling to himself as he left. The shopkeeper stood in his front door examining the old man from a distance for signs of life. He had heard the commotion from inside his shop, and like the others, dropped what he was doing to watch the spectacle. Now that the show was over, Everyone had returned to their business. Was he alive? The shopkeeper couldn't tell. He grabbed a skin of water and ran into the hot, empty square. The old man must have been able to feel the air cool from his shadow because he rolled over and squinted at the figure hovering over him. Hello, shopkeeper, he rasped. Are you all right? Yes, my son, the old man said as he tried to get up. I think I'll live. Let me help you. The shopkeeper helped him sit up. He took the skin of cool water and gave him a drink and wiped his face with a clean rag. The man's swollen purple cheek reminded him of the mask the old man had defaced. Why did you do that? he asked. Why did I do what? Why did you pay good money for a Babylonian charm only to vandalize it in the public square? That Phoenician could have killed you. They take their gods and demons seriously. Oh? The whole thing seemed kind of silly to me. The old man chuckled. 
The shopkeeper, too, had to laugh, partly from remembering how the old man made a fool out of the Phoenician, and partly from relief that the old man could still string a few coherent sentences together after the beating he took. "'You're hurt. He could have killed you,' said the shopkeeper. "'It's true. I'm hurt,' said the old man. "'But you know what? It wasn't Humbaba who hurt me, was it?' Later that night, the shopkeeper retreated to the little room in the back of his house where he kept his valuables, the finest items in his personal collection. He opened the box containing the incomplete set of figurines. Only four left. Their tiny, expressionless faces stared back at him, daring him to guess what they were thinking. He handled each one carefully, trying to bring back those old feelings from childhood, but something was different. Something had changed. Ab, are you back there? What are you doing? His wife called from another part of the house. The shopkeeper lingered over the figurines a few seconds more. Ab! I'm back here, just packing up a few items to take to the shop. I think I may be able to get a good price for them. The shopkeeper took one last look, closed the lid on the box, and joined her to help clean up the dishes from supper. On the beaches of Phoenicia, mindless waves crept up the shore and retreated. With every advance, they brought the same rubbish onto the beach they pulled from it the time before. The rhythmic, monotonous dance back and forth kept an unbroken ritual, not just on the beaches of Phoenicia, but on every beach on that wild, feral globe. Yet from time to time, an item washed on shore too heavy to be swallowed back down by the ocean's titanic pull. A shell, maybe, or a piece of driftwood, or maybe an ancient clay mask with some of its teeth blacked out. These items were left for curious beachcombers, those rare individuals who care enough to look for hidden treasures, not the kind you place on a shelf, but the ones you keep in your heart, to remind you there is more to life than the meaningless struggle of the waves. Thank you for listening to Burdens. For more information, visit DrewKaiser.com.